Welcome to Patient Centricity, a ZS podcast. We are the industry leaders within the health and health technology space. For over 40 years, we've been bringing patient-led business models to life. We're also the authors of a new book, Reinventing Patient Centricity. Our vision is to transform global healthcare and drive toward a more connected ecosystem. In this series, we will focus on how to incorporate the patient's voice in the decision-making process across all healthcare systems, from pharmaceuticals to managed care to life sciences companies, thus improving health and business outcomes for all. I'm your host, Victoria Summers, Principal with ZS in the patient health and equity space. I'm really excited today to welcome two of our lead authors of our new book, Reinventing Patient Centricity, and the real driving force behind this podcast series. Um, So welcome Hensley Evans and Sharon Sakotliff. Um, Hensley is a principal with ZS and leads our global transformation practice. Um, She's been spending the last 10 years at ZS helping organizations focus on patient and transform their processes to ensure the patient perspective is really, um, you know, at the focus and at the core of their decisions. She's joining us today from our Zurich office. Welcome, Hensley. Thanks, Victoria. So happy to be here. Excited to see how you've been instrumental in really giving our work a voice um, and uh, leading these conversations. Next, we have Sharon. Uh, Sharon leads our patient centricity work in the U.S. Um, Her background is in patient centricity. She has her master's degree in public health from Columbia University's Mailman School of Public Health, um, an extensive marketing and communications experience in and outside of healthcare. So, Sharon, welcome back. Thanks, Victoria. So nice to be back here again. Hensley, I'd like to start with you. when we think about you know the this book and and really the all the work that you've done to um, to elevate the um, awareness and the importance of patient centricity throughout the healthcare industry, I, I'm interested in in learning why um, why you wanted to really kind of to write this this book. What what was the real um, you know impulse behind this effort? Yeah, so like many of my ideas, this came to me one morning while I was uh, going for a run, uh, but. What had been sort of rattling around, I think, in in my head for a while was that we were doing all sorts of different research around patient centricity, focusing on what the patient experience was, benchmarking capabilities that organizations had in building patient-centered thinking, looking at R&D and and the patient burden in uh, the clinical trial process. And many of the most interesting insights I was seeing were coming at the intersections of these different pieces of research. While they were all unique and interesting in their own right, some of the most eye-opening things really were coming out of uh, the combination of, of different pieces of research we were doing. So it really felt like it was going to be uh, more useful uh, to share with our clients and with others in the industry who are trying to promote patient centricity, if we put all of these pieces together um, in in a book that really explored some of the similar themes across many of the different functional areas and challenges um, that uh, that face organizations trying to become more patient focused. Oh, I love that. It's really interesting to think about all these kind of pieces coming together because you're you're right. So often there's there's silos that that exist. Sharon, I know that you've really, you know, worked a lot in in the organization and and writing of this book to bring in lots of examples and lots of um, kind of success stories and and challenges. Are are there certain examples or kind of successes that you found while writing the book that kind of come out as being, you know, have really stuck with you? You know, I think the things that have 
really stuck with me are the examples of organizations that have been able to connect the dots, right? So from early research through development uh, and then into commercializing products. Now, I think, unfortunately, these are still a few and far between that make that connection and are able to carry in the, the patient insights. But we've started to see that organizations are building the mechanisms to gather patient insights early in research and create living documents or databases that they can then continue to mine and tap into so that the knowledge and understanding of what's important to someone, what their experience is with a certain disease or with a product can be considered as we go through phase one, phase two, phase three, and then get a product into market. For example, Boehringer Ingelheim has instituted a practice uh, where they create what they call a patient experience assessment at the very start of a clinical program. Now, this is a living, breathing document which starts as a collection of everything they know about the patient and the patient experience that's collected from a variety of sources and what's in the public domain. And this document continues to evolve as they learn more about the patient experience and ultimately follows the assets uh, through to, to commercialization. I think another really interesting use case is actually a ZS example. ZS has built a patient experience bank where we have collected over a million different data points about individuals' preferences, like do they prefer to visit their physician through telehealth? Do they find their information from the web, the social web? Who do they trust? And um, understanding their experience with certain diseases. And this database is something that uh, pharma and life sciences can tap into to get a baseline understanding, right? As a starting point to what do people with lupus believe is the best way to get information? Or what do people with um, metastatic breast cancer what kind of um, information do they want to receive from whom and how often do they want to engage with, with a physician in the trial? Oh, those are great examples. Thank you, Sharon. You know, I want to go back, Hensley, to something that you'd said around the, the connectedness between all of this. And I think those examples that you're mentioning, Sharon, really show kind of the, the power of kind of connecting. There's connecting within the organization, but in, also in, in some of the, the book, you talk about kind of connecting across the industry. I wonder if you could speak a little bit about that and, and what you're seeing as some of the opportunities there. Yeah, actually, I think this is one of the most important and difficult things that we're going to need to solve for if we really want to get to better health outcomes for everyone. Pharma often thinks about their role in patient care along the patient care continuum uh, in a silo, uh, that they're thinking about the patient in uh, their journey from getting diagnosed with a particular condition, thinking about treatment options, selecting a treatment option, starting on that treatment, staying on treatment, getting to hopefully a better clinical and uh, personal health outcome. But of course, that person is not just a patient with that particular condition. That person has often 
multiple physicians that they are seeing for that condition and maybe other um, health um, uh, conditions or questions that, that they're trying to manage. They have a family. Uh, they have financial considerations. Um, they have other uh, issues uh, in, in their life, things that they may be uh, trying to, uh, you know, look forward to uh, an event in the future, um, etc. And so if we're not able to connect what's happening with the patient with this particular disease and this particular treatment with their overall uh, life and, and sort of healthcare journey and, and connecting to um, other organizations in the healthcare ecosystem that may be um, supporting and serving that patient, whether that's um, providers, pharmacists, payers, um, naturopaths, uh, nutritionists, right? Lo loads of people contributing to that to that overall patient health experience or person's healthcare experience. So I think we really need to think about how are we going to connect those pieces together in a holistic way and recognize the entirety of that person's experience in their healthcare journey and not just the tiny little sliver that represents, you know, their journey with psoriasis or, or you know, whatever the particular condition is. No, thank you, Hensley. That that's really a fantastic idea of kind of integrating. Can you can you think of an example or what what that might look like, and, and maybe illustrate that a bit more? Yeah. So, I mean, we talk in the book a little bit about um, what what that could look like. I think there's been a lot of speculation lately with some of the big tech players um, moving into healthcare, right? Amazon and others, where we think about a much more seamless experience for for the individual. One of the examples we talk about in the book that's related is financial services, right? And you can have a lot of different providers of financial services in your life. You have a mortgage with one bank, you have a savings account someplace, maybe you have some investments in a 401k somewhere else. But because we have unique identifiers that are well protected, we can pull the data from all those different financial providers into a single app on our phone and get a unified picture of our financial health, if you will. Um, and it really feels like this should be an easy first step to take in the healthcare space. It's definitely not easy, but it but it feels like the first place to go, right, is that we're not going to um, see a, a, a world where Amazon is providing for all of our healthcare needs, um, you know, in the next five years. Um, there are always going to be multiple healthcare providers and multiple organizations involved in our healthcare. But if we could at least integrate the data into sort of one place so that, you know, patients, physicians, other caregivers could easily kind of see the whole picture. I think that would be a really important sort of first step towards that more seamless and connected um, patient experience. You know, Sharon, as she is, Hensley was talking about all this data being connected, which makes so much sense. Um, you know, I can't help but think about measurement. And I know you've talked um, before about measuring patient outcomes. I'm wondering if you could kind of build on on what Hensley's talking about and, and think about what, um, you know, what measuring patient outcomes could look like and, and what it might mean for for patients and for um, organizations. Yeah, I think it's it's so important, Victoria. Many organizations, I'd say probably 
just about every organization today in life sciences struggles with how they demonstrate the impact right, of investing in patient focus or investing in patient centricity and understanding what those investments mean in terms of real world experience and how they relate back to the business. There tends to be this aversion to some extent for companies to connect patient focus or patient centricity to the business. And so what ends up happening is that many companies just don't measure it, right? They just don't measure patient experience or they just don't measure patient outcomes. But that's going to have to change, right? If we're going to be headed towards a world that Hensley describes where we have connected data, where we're able to understand a connected experience, where we're able to really be very strategic and focus about where and how we invest and where um, we as an industry are paid for, for value, for outcomes, we have to do things differently. And so the the challenge that exists today is that many companies will measure the thing that's easiest to measure, which is interactions or activity, and will focus on ROI, right? Did we grow share? Did we grow overall prescriptions? But the, the problem with that is that we don't know whether that actually had a positive impact for people, right? And uh, as we move towards a world that's focused on value-based care and outcomes, we're not going to know. We're not going to know what actually contributes to that value. And so one of the things that we're doing today is trying to change that, working with organizations to help connect their investments to what happens later with patients. And I'll, I'll give you a, a really straightforward example. Um, for This is a a company that works in a, a therapeutic area where the disease is a diagnosis of exclusion, right? Their objective was to help grow favorability with physicians, and they were trying to um, drive increased market share and prescriptions. As they investigated and tried to figure out what are the challenges that we might be able to solve, uh, they, they found that because it's a diagnosis of exclusion, it takes most patients at least two years to get a proper diagnosis and that the, the path, the experience is quite arduous both for patients and also for their physicians. And so they thought, well, we wonder if we can have an impact, if we can help physicians maybe uh, get to that diagnosis a little faster. And so they had a training program. They invested a lot in helping physicians understand what the signals could be. And they measured that, right? And what they saw is, yes, the program worked. They were able to meet their objectives of improving share and improving prescriptions. But then they took it a step further. What impact did this investment have for people, right? For patients. And what they discovered is that they were indeed able to shorten the time to diagnosis, right? And now if you're swimming in a sea of ambiguity in terms of trying to understand your symptoms, that's very meaningful for someone, even if it's just a few months, right? That's that's quality of life. That's being able to sleep at night. And so those are the types of outcomes and that's those are the types of connections that pharma needs to do more of, right? That needs to make more of. We need to understand how does our patient support system or patient support service help people get access to the medications, stay on medications, take them appropriately. And we need to take that a bit further to understand is there differential impact for different populations, right? Perhaps um, what we see in some studies, we did a study um about a, a year ago in partnership with a client that looked at the impact of social determinants of health on 
the ability of people with a specific rare disease to access patient support and also what they needed in terms of patient support. And what we found was that there were these different cohorts of individuals that either had a um, combination of uh, lower socioeconomic status and maybe um, high school education that needed a certain type of support. And then there were people who might have some challenges in terms of health literacy and maybe didn't have insurance that had a different set of needs. And so what they needed in terms of support was completely different, right? And now that this company is able to understand that, they're able to provide that differential support and have everybody improve outcomes. That's a really great example, Sharon, and it just talks to the to the power of what you can do when you start connecting these things. You know, Hensley, what do you think you know needs to change about the industry and and what can companies be focused on so that they can start to move in this direction and start to make those connections? Yeah, I think you know the longest journey starts with a single step, right? Um, one of the things we've been talking to a lot of folks in the industry about is just starting to measure the impact you're having on patient outcomes with various programs, services, and solutions. You know, I think if you ask most organizations in the commercial space if they know the impact that various initiatives had on their script volume, they'll say, yeah, I have a pretty good idea. I, I run promotion response analysis. I, I know how effective this program was at increasing my share or increasing my, my script volume. But if you ask that same group of people, if they know what impact each of those individual initiatives had on patient outcomes, there's a bit of a shrug, right? Now, sometimes if you can connect it to uh, adherence, you can suggest, well, we know patients were more adherent as a result, so that's, that's likely leading to better outcomes. But it can be as simple as running the same predictive models that you use to measure promotion response just with a different dependent variable, right? In one case, the dependent variable is share or scripts. In the other case, the dependent variable is a measure of clinical outcome. And you have that data in patient level data, right? So it's, it's not super complicated. And without having a big agenda for what you're gonna do with that measure, just start measuring it. Because what if you knew that of the 10 things you did, these four drove the most ROI and these three drove the most POI. And maybe two are common, right? Gosh, you could invest more money in those two knowing that it will drive better business impact and that it's gonna drive better uh, patient outcome impact. So I, I think, you know, like I said, um, you know, small steps uh, are the best place to start. So I think in a lot of ways, we're just suggesting that people start to put simple, um, maybe not uh, super granular, um, but directional measures in place so that they understand the impact that they're having on on patients as well as the impact they're having on their business. That's wonderful. Thank you, Hensley. As we think about, um, you know, kind of where we go from here, and, and I know we're kind of getting towards the end of our time, I'd like to kind of, um, you know, wrap up by asking you each uh, the same question. And that question is, what does the future of patient centricity look like? Um, what kind of issues or what kind of challenges do you think that um, that you'll see in the in the future as this um, as these movements start to happen? Um, and maybe Sharon, if I can start with you. The thing that I've been thinking about, uh, I learned recently that 
for people born today, they have a one in two chance of getting cancer sometime in their life, right? So when I think about patient centricity, I think about how do we move beyond treatment and start to focus more on prevention. It's where the world is headed, right? We see a lot of cell and gene therapies that are in development and coming to market, and those could help us in the future prevent diseases, right? A cancer vaccine. How great is that? I think some of the things that companies will really need to understand and the fear and the reticence that people might have to take some of these newer treatments because it is so new because we still don't know a lot. And my hope for the future of patient centricity is that as we are developing these novel medicines, these novel treatments that uh, help us avoid disease, that we are continuing to bring people, the people with these conditions along for the process so that we can bring these treatments to market faster right? So that we can make them more accessible so that it's not just people with great insurance who who might get access. Thank you. That's fantastic. Hensley, what do you think about when you think about the future of patient centricity? Yeah. If I think 15 years out, my hope is that we get to a point with healthcare systems around the world where income for providers, and by providers, I mean pharmaceutical manufacturers, physicians, uh, insurance companies, etc., isn't based on volume of stuff, of treatments, of tests, of interactions, but is based on outcomes for patients. And I think value-based medicine is all about this, right? Trying to move towards a model that says your income is based on your outcome. Now, once you get to a model where more of your income is based on patient outcomes, then patient centricity becomes your business model, right? Because the more you improve the patient outcome, the more money you make. And and so I think like as we do this slow progression towards value-based medicine, it's going to become more and more of a competitive requirement that you understand exactly what levers you have to pull to drive a better patient outcome, to maybe drive prevention, right? So you're not just treating patients with diabetes and getting more scripts for your diabetes medications, you're preventing pre-diabetic patients from ever becoming diabetic and therefore getting paid for all of the medical services that that person doesn't actually need in that future, right? Which I really love because it's, it's integrative and it also means that everybody has the same objective. Patients want to feel better. Payers want patients to need less care for less money. Providers want their patients to be healthier. And, you know, pharmaceutical manufacturers can can want that better outcome because that's going to drive their business results, right? So um, that, that's what I hope for in the future. That's wonderful. Thank you so much for those uh, those insights and the vision of this future. It truly is inspiring. Thank you so much. Thank you, Victoria. Thank you. This has been the Patient Centricity Podcast by ZS. You can find our book, Reinventing Patient Centricity, on Amazon in hard copy or audio. You can also find us at zs.com. 
Executive Producers, Samantha Keys and Georgiana Moreland. Until next time. 